Hello, and welcome to the Lasting Impact Wellness Podcast, where together we explore ways to help you optimize your health and achieve sustainable well being. No one deserves to live an unhealthy life because they are overtasked, overstimulated, and overwhelmed. I'm your co host, Dr. Laura Hayes, and we'll be joined by Dr. Parker Hayes as we explore new perspectives and strategies rooted in self awareness, deep connections, and science based practices designed to create lasting impact for you and those around you. Please keep in mind this podcast is for the purpose of education, introspection, and community connection and should not be mistaken for medical advice. Be sure to subscribe and share with others. Let's be well together. Hello and welcome to Lasting Impact Wellness, the podcast that helps you optimize your health and well-being through science-based practices, practical knowledge, and honest discussions. I'm your host today, Dr. Laura Hayes. Stress, burnout, overwhelm, these are all topics on the forefront of a lot of our minds, especially in today's world. My guest today has been a healthcare professional for the last 35 years and experienced his own version of burnout. His mission now is to help other professionals transform their relationship with the unrelenting demands of their jobs and discover a path toward meaning, professional fulfillment, and career longevity. He believes the key to personal and professional success lies in bringing soul to role in your career. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Joe Sherman. Dr. Sherman is a pediatrician, coach, and consultant to physicians and healthcare organizations in the areas of cross-cultural medicine, leadership, and provider well-being. He's a facilitator with the Center for Courage and Renewal and a Master Certified Physician Development Coach with the Physician Coaching Institute. Dr. Sherman's also a pediatrician. He's been in pediatric practice for over 35 years, concentrating on healthcare delivery to underserved and medically complex children in the District of Columbia, Tacoma, Seattle. He's also worked in Uganda and Bolivia. He has held numerous faculty positions and is currently clinical associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Washington. Joe, welcome. I am so thrilled to have you on the podcast today, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for having me, Laura. So will you start off just by telling us briefly about your background, how you came into this space where you're in uh, currently? Sure. So I'm a general pediatrician and uh, went to medical school originally thinking that I really love helping people. I love kids. And if I put helping people, kids, and I happen to be adept at science and math. And so I put those together and said, oh, I should be a doctor. And that's kind of how it went because as we go along, sometimes we are told to kind of put things together logically that way. So that's the avenue that I took. And I love pediatrics. I love kids. It's a chance to practice medicine and have fun at the same time. Kids are always up for being distracted, having fun with, being goofy. So it takes some of the seriousness out of the profession sometimes. So I have been in the areas of medical education as well as community health, mostly to underserved populations of kids in inner city areas, primarily in the U.S. and then abroad. And that's mostly been a combination of rural, small town areas And I have been doing this work for 35 years. And every now and then I stop to notice that I never had one job more than five years, never stayed in one place more than five years. 
And I thought, oh, well, it just happened to be a coincidence because of life circumstances or opportunities to happen to come about. But I think in retrospect, what would happen to me often is that I would have this inertia, initiative, enthusiasm to create something and bring people together and try to be of service to a population of families for a particular period of time. And then I would kind of run out of gas and then another opportunity would come. Um, the cycle seemed to come to a head when our family returned from Bolivia after being there for four years, my wife, myself, my two kids, and we were there as part of a mission organization. And we lived and worked amongst the indigenous people of Bolivia and, uh, it was a wonderful experience, a chance for me to do a variety of things during that time and to experience what it meant to live, work, and uh, be alongside of the same people that I was serving as a doctor, patient, and such. Coming back, I was thrust right into a position in a clinic, a busy pediatric inner city clinic with some teaching responsibilities, but mostly as medical director of this clinic, trying to keep it alive and surviving under budget cuts, staffing cuts, and everything else. And this contrast of being in a place in Bolivia and in other places in my past where I felt very comfortable where I was, felt very much myself in that position. Whereas now I found myself in this position where I was kind of given this job to make things happen for less money with less resources and also to answer to a lot of different people. But I have to say that the biggest influence during that time was myself. And I say that because I had learned over the years that I could do it myself, that if I worked hard enough, and I just put in enough hours and I sacrificed my own well-being as well as the well-being of my family, um, I have to say, that I could turn things around. I could do anything. Um, that was not the case. I gradually sunk lower and lower into a lot of anxiety followed by depression and eventually got to a point where I had to leave altogether. And that was very close to being forced upon me, I have to say, by my mental health provider who brought my wife in to a visit and asked her how I was doing. And in tears, she told him that she was worried that she would lose me. And that was my wake-up call. She had told me many times before that, that she was worried, but I think having it said in public in front of someone who knew me well um, uh, was a real wake-up call. As soon as she said that, he turned to me, he said, what do you think you should do? And I said, I think I have to quit. And he said, how soon? And that was the beginning. Then I went into this period of exploration, of self-exploration, of recovery. And during this time, I started to realize that in the midst of all of this anxiety and loss and grief, 
was this idea that I could discover who I was underneath all of that. And who I was had something to do with what I did, but it was not all about what I did. Because I have to say now that who I am could be applied and has been applied to every aspect of life, different professions, not just healthcare, not just medicine. And so as I did this exploration with the help of, oh gosh, every type of helping person, a coach, a therapist, a spiritual director, mentors, gurus, everything, books, uh, I was really at it. I started to realize if I can find this and discover my core values and really what motivates me, who I am at my core, then I can do this for other people, at least try and help. And that's when I started to get into first facilitating retreats for physicians, healthcare teams, health professionals, and then later individual coaching for health professionals. And that's really what I do now full time. That's amazing. Thank you first for sharing all of that, but also thank you for your service and what you do. My gosh, I've got two little kids. So without their amazing pediatrician, I don't know what we would do. And as you were speaking, it was making me think of how you are sort of the epitome of that healer, that health provider who is constantly putting others first, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, that's part of the calling, but always putting others first sometimes means that you're neglecting yourself along the way. And at some point it's like this pressure cooker where things are being pushed aside or put in the background. And maybe you acknowledge that they're going on, but you can't put too much attention toward them or other things in your life will be neglected. And well, you know, you can't do that because this was your calling. This is your obligation. But over time, at some point, the pressure gets to be too much and it needs somewhere to go. And so it's really inspiring to hear you talk about that in your own experience. And as we were chatting before we hit record, being a fellow physician always with that mindset of service to others and that being, as you mentioned, a core value, you know, but how do you balance your core values of being of service to others, but also maybe that of personal growth or family connection, interpersonal connection and caring for yourself. So yeah, it's a hard journey, but it sounds like you have really done a lot of that introspective work and you exude self-awareness now, which is my favorite topic. That's the foundation of our health and our well-being. So I appreciate all of that. I have to say that this is ongoing work for me. This is not something that you know, kind of happened and I checked the box and now I'm just enlightened and just sitting here and glowing. <laughs> you happen to catch me right now in this moment of the day, later in the day, I may be completely filled with self-doubt and second guessing. <laughs> and I have some tools and practices to help me cope with that. The first one is self-acceptance and self-compassion. So when those moments do creep in of self-doubt, second guessing, wondering if I'm good enough, then I turn to self-compassion and that's my go-to practice. That's wonderful. That's something that I don't think any of us do enough of is treat ourselves with the kindness and respect that we do for the people we love. And it's a great reminder. And as you mentioned, it's a practice and it's 
ongoing life development. And we're lucky to have that opportunity to continue to do this throughout our lives. For myself and for my husband, Parker, being emergency physicians and now moving more into this well-being space that we've been in now for the last year or so, we comment all the time to each other of how much we've learned about ourselves going through this process, talking to others, helping others find their meaning, their aspiration, their purpose in life has just, it's like looking in a mirror and you're able to learn so much about yourself and your own journey and your own path. And it's definitely an ongoing process, but you can see the benefits once you just actually pause and take a moment, start paying attention start looking in places maybe you haven't looked in many years and saying, okay, where am I now? Let's take some inventory. How do I feel? What do I want? And what are some next steps to get there one at a time? So it's a great process. I love the way you said that. Those are the three questions. Yeah. How do I feel right now? What is it that I need right now? And what is the first step to take to get there? That's, boy, if that's kind of encapsulating that practice of self-compassion and self-awareness right there. Yeah, that's great. So let's talk a little bit about burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of the work you do now is on physician burnout and helping specifically healthcare professionals get through or maybe even just acknowledge and mitigate the effects of burnout on their personal lives and their careers. And burnout has become such a buzzworthy topic and everybody's talking about it now, which I think is great. It's it's brought some awareness to this phenomenon, but was it your own experience of burnout that kind of led you to that space? And tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing now. You mentioned it briefly uh, before, but if you could go into that a little bit, that'd be, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah. I would say burnout now, when I hear this, boy, so I would say 10, 15 years ago, when I first started to hear about burnout and and read about it, it really was about 15 years ago. And then I started to identify with this idea of being um, emotionally exhausted and overwhelmed. This idea of feeling like anything that I do is like a hamster wheel. I'm just spinning. I'm not getting anywhere, not really helping anybody. And then withdrawing, completely withdrawing emotionally and just going through the motions and losing that passion and that why from my practice. And that's what burnout is all about. It's it, it, The end result is this numbing where you're just feeling like I'm going through the motions. So that, to me, that's good to identify and to understand, but there is so much more underneath that. There is so much more to the culture of the culture and the, dare I say, baggage that we bring in to our medical training, everything, all the messages that were delivered to us as kids growing up, everything that was said to encourage us. And I don't want to sound like it's all bad. I think there's some great, uh, motivation and fodder for us finding our passions in life. But then we go through medical training and we have these young idealistic folks that really want to help and and do something. And they go through this boot camp mentality of beating you down and making you think that the best way to try to improve and to gain the skills that you need to help others 
is to constantly criticize yourself, constantly question whether you could do things better and what you did wrong. And this measurement stick of perfection, which is not human. It's not a human being. It's this constant striving and you can't reach that. So when you get out of training, which is just one finish line after another, get into medical school, get through the first two years, get into the hospital, graduate, find a residency, get into the residency, finish the residency. And then finally you're out there in the world and you have to figure out, okay, now who am I and what do I really want out of life? And all of those messages that have been created inside of our brains by all these external forces, starting when we were little kids, telling us, you're great at this. You would be really a good this. <laughs> and we really could need, we really could use a lot more of these. So why don't you think about doing these, this, that, mm. and it's all these external voices. And so what I try to do and what I am doing for myself constantly is to listen to that internal voice is to try to distinguish who am I at my core? Who am I that shows up the same, whether I'm in an exam room with a patient, with a friend having coffee, playing basketball with my friends on the basketball court, taking a walk with my wife, hanging out with my kids. I am that same person essentially at my core in every one of those settings. It may manifest itself differently, but if I look at myself and I say, wow, I am constantly, I, and I'm talking about myself now, I'm constantly vigilant about how I'm perceived. I'm constantly vigilant about whether people feel like I'm doing a good enough job, whether they like me, whether I'm matching up to their expectations and my own, God forbid they disagree with me or you know, they say that I didn't deliver everything to its perfect manifestation because then I take that on myself. I take that on myself as judgment, guilt, and at the bottom, shame. And that's the essential part of that. So for me, I love working with physicians. And what I love to do is people come to me because they are burned out or think they might be or don't want to be, or they just feel like I really am confused about what the next step I want to take in my career. Because up to this point, everyone else has told me what to do. Oh, you do this, you do that, do that. So I love to work with physicians as well as other health professionals, actually everybody, if I had the chance, but just to, to be able to sit down and say, okay, tell me of an experience in your life, in your profession or outside where you felt either I wish this would never end. This is so much fun, or I enjoy this so much, or this is so much me. I'm in my flow, whatever that might be, that I wish it wouldn't end. Or, oh, that was amazing experience. I can't wait. When can I do it again? Where's my calendar? Where is that opportunity that I can sign up to do that again? And you take those experiences and you dissect them, <laughs> break them down to what was present how did I feel? I mean, how did I feel physically and emotionally, spiritually? Who was around? How did that work? How did I interact with people? And what 
values was I manifesting during that time? And when you do that, you can come up with a list of values, a list of principles, a list of situations and activities that really bring you out to who you are. And then you can start saying, okay, where's my reality of my present situation? And how do I start to kind of weave these learnings in? Try it out, make a little tweak here and there, or sometimes it's at the point where I have to make a major change. But I encourage people to do things, you know, it took a long time to get to where you are. So if it's possible to take things slowly and try to understand yourself as best you can. Yeah, I love how you describe that because this could apply to any high achiever person who's very driven out there, especially in, in their career, their profession of how you mentioned everyone just sort of tells you who you are for years and years, and then you shift and mold to fit into that specific shape. And then before you know it, you may get decades into your career and you have this aha moment of who the heck am I actually? And who am I at my core? What is driving my behaviors and my actions? And if you're not taking a moment to look at where your values are, what really is meaningful to you, then how do you know which values are or are not guiding your decisions in your life? You're speaking my language, Joe. That's what Parker and I try to do with our clients at Lasting Impact is saying, let's get down to the core of who you are. And it doesn't mean that you don't value other things, but let's find those things that you value most. And you mentioned a great way to even identify it is think of those times where you felt really aligned. You felt like you were living your purpose or you just felt balanced and harmonized and good. And that can be a signal of, hey, there was a value at play there. And then starting to use those to dictate your decisions and your behaviors moving forward. And yeah, it's, it's hard. It's a really hard practice to maintain and to be cognizant of on a regular basis. I think we all get really caught up in that autopilot mode, that hamster wheel. I love the analogy of the hamster wheel because that's how life feels sometimes, especially at different stages, whether you're a new parent or you are in a new relationship or you've got a new job or you've moved you know, change is scary, even if it's change you want or change that you intended for, but being able to come back and bring things back to your core values and sit with yourself and say, okay, who am I really? And how do I get to know myself a little bit better? I think that's really, that's the key. That's the key to fulfillment and happiness and, and being healthy in general. It takes a lot of courage to do this. I have to say that I talk about it kind of after the fact, but I can tell you when I had to resign from my position and understand what was, and I didn't know what was going on at the time. And at the time I didn't call it burnout. It was that, and I really do believe it was a combination of burnout and misplacement. I, I just felt like at that particular point in my life, and it may not have been true earlier in my career, but at that particular point in my career, I was not in the place where I was meant to be. And I think that this is something that I really try to emphasize with my clients, my coaching clients, and with groups that I work with, is to understand that at certain points in your life, your situation is calling for you to make certain decisions that you wouldn't make later or didn't make before. 
is because maybe, you know, for 10 years of my practice after residency, I was a single person. I had no partner. I was on my own. I threw myself into my work constantly, just worked, worked, worked. And I thought that was great. I was saving the world. I was helping all kinds of people. And at the same time, I was running away from trying to negotiate a relationship with someone that involved me doing something more than running off and working all the time. And so then it called on me to make different kinds of decisions. And then I had kids and they were certain ages and that's a whole nother set of decision-making. So, and then they, you know, they grow up and they leave and then that's another. So I am fortunate to have a partner in life who is a clinical psychologist and is the one that constantly is telling me, okay, now let's sit down and see where we are now. Yeah. And let's try to work out everything from how do we feel about where we are right now and what's the schedule going to be for next week and taking care of the kids. I mean, everything down to the brass tacks. So it takes a lot of courage. It takes a reflective approach. And it's scary. It's scary for those of us who have been told this is the path to take and keep going. And we've invested so much time and energy and money into it that to question it and to even consider jumping off the train is terribly frightening. Oh, definitely. And it takes a lot of acceptance too, when you start turning a little bit more of a microscope into your life and into yourself internally, but also expanding that awareness to the world around you. of What is my place in the world? Where do I fit in? What is my purpose? And we discover things about ourselves that we may not have expected or we may not like and learning how to sit with that with some acceptance. And as you mentioned earlier, self-compassion and showing ourselves some grace of, gosh, you don't have to get it right all the time. And you don't have to be perfect and we're all human and we make mistakes. Yeah. It's interesting. You made me think of when I was sort of in the midst of probably my peak of burnout. Now in retrospect, I can label it as such. I think at the time I was just accepting it as my norm. And this was probably mid pandemic. As I mentioned, I was the chair and director of my emergency department and before we really understood COVID and what it meant to all of us and having a lot of fear around it and seeing things in my career that I have not seen ever before in that capacity, you know, young people dying all the time in hallways, in the bathroom. I mean, it was a very, very unreal situation. And I bring that up to say, I remember talking with my husband and <laughs> I don't remember exactly how it came up, but he pointed out, and then I acknowledged that I was very irritable. I had just a really, really short fuse and my kids would do something silly, like literally spill their milk at dinner. And I would have this really short fuse and just react immediately. And for me, that wasn't who I was. I just wasn't that type of person. I've been practicing and teaching yoga for 20 years. I have been very mindful about responding and not reacting and taking that pause. But in that point in my life, I seemed incapable of being able to do that. And I think I recognized it, but actually sitting down and talking with my husband about it and, and him pointing out, you're very irritable. It's like 
everything is annoying you all the time down to the littlest, teeniest, tiniest thing, like something's misplaced in the house and you're frustrated by it. It's like you're constantly frustrated by everything. And we sort of had this moment where I said, I can't do this. This isn't fair to me. It's not fair to you as my husband. It's not fair to the kids. It's not fair to our household to just be on edge all the time. And I don't want our family to feel like they're walking on eggshells around me. So it was a big wake up call again, just to label something negative that I was clearly feeling and then outwardly expressing to say, okay, this isn't meshing with who I am at my core. This isn't the type of person that I am or that I want to be. So why am I so irritable? And then I was able to kind of trace that back to a lot of the stress I was feeling at work, a lot of the overwhelm I was feeling because of COVID and all of the disaster that I was seeing in front of me and trying to hold everybody together at work. But here I was neglecting holding everybody together at home and holding myself together. And, you know, it doesn't have to take some big, huge, major life transition or some big, huge, major event for you to just get a wake up call. But I do think that we have to be willing and open to hear that type of feedback from people we love or people in our circle or people we trust to say, wow, okay, yeah, you do know me. And thank you for giving me this big red flag that I clearly have been not seeing or ignoring for quite a while. So I just share that as I think people can maybe relate to that. And I bet you have lots of clients and people who come to you with uh, similar epiphanies, or maybe they really are looking for that epiphany moment. They feel like things are just not on balance and not harmonized and they're on edge all the time, but don't really know where to start. Well, I think that you bring up a very good point in that th those two signs, those, the irritability, that's something that I think is a major symptom of burnout or and as I say, burnout, it, as you say, it's kind of uh, gotten to be a bit overused these days. So because what happens is that we have so many people who are suffering from burnout, it's becoming the norm. <laughs> They're so all becomes, burned out. <laughs> yeah, if we're all burned out, because right now, you know, over 60% of practicing physicians are burned out. So as I say to my friends who are out not in healthcare, I say, this may not be exactly correct statistically, but I say, you know, more or less... Every time you go in to see a doctor, half the time they're burned out and they're out there in practice. And so they're doing the best they can to survive. So you don't have their full attention. And so this is something that I think is surprising. Although finally, I think as more and more people are realizing and they try to call to make an appointment and they can't get in or nobody picks up the phone or it's a machine, they're realizing increasingly there's nobody home because people are leaving. And it's not just the physicians, but the first people to leave are the front line folks, the folks at the front desk, the operators, the medical assistants, the techs, all of these people who get paid very little for what they do, and yet they've been pressed to their limits. So for them, move, shift, do something else, which then unfortunately leaves more responsibility upon the provider. But my point I was going to make was how women, and this has really been brought out by the pandemic during the peak of the pandemic, women are suffering much more disproportionately than men. Because in our society, women have been given this responsibility to be the primary family caregivers. And so I think as a man, for me, I feel like 
I am wrestling with a lot of different issues. And part of this, the, the challenge for men has to do with this idea of being the provider and living up to all of the roles that men are supposed to live up to. But for women who are in helping professions, physicians, social workers, mental health professionals, therapists, everybody, they also, they have a whole different set of, of pressures and responsibilities that, oh my gosh, I'm torn between, should I be home? Should I be at work? Should I be helping this person, that person? What person should I be helping? And the reality is when you're feeling irritable, distracted, out of it, all of those things, the first thing to do is to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good segue to my next question then. And that is, what do you suggest as the first step? I've been asked this a lot. And my answer generally revolves around that self-awareness piece, but I'm curious to know what your answer is. If somebody is sort of feeling a bit lost or wondering, you know, could this be burnout or am I just overstressed or am I not in a good space right now? What's the first step of either a discovering or identifying that, but then be doing something about it? Well, I think the first thing to do is to recognize it. And I think to admit it to yourself, which is really hard to do. And to realize as you do this, this is even before you've even talked to anybody, is that this is a normal human reaction. This is not a sign of weakness. This is a sign of humanity. This is a sign that you're not a robotron that's just trying to do a job that doesn't entail emotional import, doesn't entail emotional investment. You're a human being. You're someone who's impacted by this. So even though you're in the midst of distress, to realize that that is a sign of hope, you recognize it. So that's the first thing. You recognize it in yourself. And the second thing is, it's hard to do this alone, I think. And when you're confused because your messages have been said, keep doing this, keep doing this, keep doing this, it's good to kind of check it out with somebody else that you trust, that you can say, I'm starting to feel this way. And I'm wondering, can I talk this out with you? And this is something that I feel is, um, is tricky because I will tell you for years and years, every time I questioned whether or not I should stay on the road, stay on the train, I could find a whole group of people that were my cheerleaders that said, you are the most amazing doctor in the world. God forbid that the world would be without you as a doctor. Please keep going. We need you. And so that was like, okay, I know who to call every time to tell me to keep going and to buck up and do deal. But it's somebody who you trust, who truly loves you, is invested in you, and will be honest with you, and will be compassionate toward you. And I think that that's hard to do unless you have somebody. I think if we look around and see, we have to reach out to someone. And I have to say, from working with a lot of coaching clients, it, it may not be safe to do something like that with a coworker. And I say it may not be safe because not that people are trying to get get you or something, but it's important to have people outside of the workplace that you can rely on, that you can lean on, that have a different perspective. So I would say first to recognize it, to realize that this is part of humanity. It's being a human being, and this is a normal reaction to something that 
is an abnormal situation of being totally stressed out. And to stop doesn't mean quit right away, but it just means take a breath and just take a little bit of time to reflect. And then if you can find somebody to talk it through, and this is something that is, is important to find someone to be honest with you. And then I think you reach out for some help. And that's really takes courage. People are really afraid. They're afraid that if they reach out for help, it's a sign of weakness. So it's hard to overcome that message that's been imprinted upon us. And also there's fear that if you reach out for help, that it's going to come back to haunt you. You'll lose your license. You'll be reported that you're mentally ill. The reality is that there are plenty of people out here, coaches, mental health professionals, mentors who are willing to help and who can admit that we all struggle and that we need to start taking those steps. So that's what I would say. And it's different for everybody. The number of people that have gotten to me to where they've actually had enough courage to talk to a coach and a coach is somebody who walks alongside of you, who believes that they are growing just like you are growing. They don't have the answers for you. They're still trying to figure out the answers for themselves, but they may just be one more step ahead on the road of self-discovery and, and understanding themselves and what direction to take. But someone who's truly honest and is out for your best interest in the direction that comes from your authentic self and not somebody who's going to tell you what to do. Mm, I love that. Thank you. And I was thinking while you were talking that perhaps this is a good time to bring up to that. We're kind of going back and forth between talking about burnout in the traditional sense versus stress and overwhelm that we feel personally. And there, it's a gray area. There's a lot of overlap there. But one point when I talk to people about burnout is that it is a systemic problem. It's not a personal problem. It's not you. It's not something wrong with you or going on with you. It's not your coping skills that are the problem that there's a bigger systemic problem out there. And definitely in healthcare, I mean, gosh, we could have a whole nother podcast episode on this show, but you know, that was very clear to me, particularly during the pandemic. And that's not to point fingers or blame. Nobody knew what to do during that time. We were completely underprepared as a nation, as a world, as humans to deal with what came through. But that time of struggle and that time of desperation really highlighted the holes and the problems in the system in general. And unfortunately, I can only speak for myself and my partners and our colleagues in the healthcare world, but unfortunately we were sort of left to handle it all and really hold the world up and say, okay, yeah, this is our space. So we need to know how to deal with all this. But then the systems that were supposed to be supporting us really let us down, I think, in a lot of ways. So I bring that up to say, it's interesting how we take a lot of it on personally, but there's more going on externally as well. And having some awareness of that can help you to feel a little bit less shame and help you feel a little bit less responsible. And I think you could cross over and then potentially feel victimized by the system too. So there's a fine line there of acknowledging that it's not all on you, that there are external factors, but what part of that can you own? What part of that should you own? And then how do you deal with that? And, and how do you resolve some of that conflict for yourself too? Yeah. 
that I will tell you that what you bring up is so important, especially at the peak of the pandemic, is that, you know, burnout, I try to tell people, is a normal human reaction to an untenable situation. We are given a situation, and I do think that this is worth an entire other podcast <laughs> episode, the evolution and the history of the culture of medicine and what I was brought up in. I went to medical school in the early 80s. And so it was a different point in history of medicine. It was back in the kind of, you know, Dr. Welby days of the doctor was on the pedestal. Everybody did everything they could to accommodate whatever that doctor did. And it's just very different now. It's a whole different reality. So burnout is a normal human reaction to an untenable situation. The way that healthcare has evolved is that the technology and the information overload is landing on the shoulders of that frontline provider. And what's happened is that we have the same system with the same cast of characters handling 10 times the amount of work. And so that's impossible. If you were in any other profession, you would realize, oh, we need a team over here, you know? So each provider, each physician, PA, nurse practitioner, whoever it is, needs a team around them now, everybody. I think that that is the only way that we're gonna be able to figure this out or to work this out. All of the information, all the technology, all of the activities and, and uh, tasks that need to be done cannot be done by one person looking at a computer screen. And I think we're way behind in trying to figure that out. So as an individual who's trying to deal with that untenable situation, we have to change. And I say we, cause it's me, our entire approach to this and to realize that we have to set up boundaries and limits in order for us to make it. And so that means saying no to a lot more things than we never thought we would before. And accessibility is something that we have to say no to if we're going to be able to make it. And there are a lot of times in my past, I don't think it was absolutely the best choice, but I would be accessible at all times. I'd be ready to hand out my personal cell phone to patients and families and say, just call me up. I'm so concerned about your child. And that was so much my need to be needed and to be there at a time of crisis so that I could feel better. And I did some good work, I think. And at the same time, I was building up these practices that were unsustainable. Resilience is something that physicians have in un ab abundance. We are resilient people. And yet we are not great at taking care of ourselves emotionally, physically, and spiritually. We're resilient to the point that we can work, 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 because we were taught that. And that works against us because it, we're so far down the road before we realize that we need help and, and make a change because we've been so darn resilient. <laughs> mm. That is so true. It makes me think of other helping professions too. teachers, as you were talking, I think I have friends who are teachers and 
gosh, looking back, I'm not even sure I checked in with them very often during the last few years to say, how are you doing in that space? Because my gosh, I, I mean, I can't imagine just watching my own kids go through the various transitions of schooling and online and virtual and teachers being so overwhelmed and continuing to have more tasks, more responsibilities piled on, do more with less. Again, we could go on an entire podcast episode about all of this, but I do think conversations like this though, it brings awareness to the topic, but it also promotes more open dialogue and more vulnerable discussion moving forward. So I really, I hope that people listen to this episode and maybe even if they're not healthcare professionals or not even in the healthcare world at all, they can learn something about themselves by listening just to this discussion. And if nothing else, learn, hey, I'm not alone in how I'm feeling. And and maybe there are others out there feeling this way. And let's start talking about it. Let's start having some more honest discussions about these things. Because if we don't, nothing's going to change. Keeping our mouths shut and sitting there smiling, looking pretty uh, only works for so long, but it is certainly not the solution. So, wow. Thank you, Joe. I feel like I could talk to you forever, but I want to be respectful of your time. Any final words or wisdom, encouragement, anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? And then I also would like to know how our listeners can find out more about you and uh, working with you and inquiring about those opportunities as well. Yeah. I think two things have, have really uh, emerge from this. I've enjoyed this conversation so much and in the flow of it, and I could talk to you all day long and I tend to talk a lot anyway, but I would say one thing is you mentioned about the pandemic and your own personal experience during that time. And I tell you, my heart aches when I hear what you went through and all of your colleagues in the ER and the, just the scenes in the emergency rooms and how challenging that was. And and I just feel like when we go through trauma like that, and it truly was trauma, is that one of the tools that we use is to try to put it behind us, try to compartmentalize it and try to get back to something else that we call normal. And that's the problem with the pandemic, the post-pandemic syndrome is this is an opportunity for us to have post-traumatic growth instead of post-traumatic stress. Too many of us experience post-traumatic stress from the lockdown and all the deaths and all of this terrible trauma. And so we want to make things go away. Let us go back to the way things were. But the way things were was broken. And that's one of the reasons why we experience such a terrible, terrible episode during this time. So take stock. Don't settle for just going back to the way it was. Use it as an opportunity to make some change personally, structurally, organizationally. It's important to learn from our experiences. And the second personally is if you feel triggered, if you feel stressed at any point in your day, ask yourself, how am I feeling right now emotionally, physically, spiritually? And two, what is it that I truly, really need? And I would say that for myself and for many physicians, those questions are hard to answer because we've not answered them. We don't have our list of feelings that we can say, this is how I feel right now. 
So I encourage you to get a list. I have lists. I hand them out to people all the time. Here's a list of possible emotions you could be experiencing. Here's a list of possible needs you might have over here and use them and expand upon them because unless we identify it, we can't do anything about it. So that's my answer. And to get in touch with me, I have a website. It's joeshermanmd.com. It's very simple to remember. And please reach out to me on my website. You can set up a free coaching consultation. We can discuss your situation, what's going on, whether coaching could be helpful to you or whether there are other resources that could be helpful to you. Um, and you can reach me by email at joe at joeshermanmd.com. Great. Thank you so much. And I'll be sure to put links to that in our show notes as well. And thank you so much for your energy and your time. One of the best things about this whole podcasting world has been these types of connections. So I really do appreciate you being here and sharing all of your wisdom and expertise with me and with our listeners. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Laura. I appreciate it. Thank you again to today's guest and thank you to our listeners for your time and your energy. If you know someone who might benefit from the content in this episode, contribute to their well-being by sharing it with them. Your feedback and topic suggestions are welcome at info at lastingimpactwellness.com. Reach out, connect with us. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, follow, rate and review and share with others. Thanks again for listening. Let's be well together.